Welcome to episode 47 of Sporting Max, brought to you by The Missing Link, connecting you or your business with the biggest stars in the world through events and experiences. Today's guest was a superstar player for the New Zealand Tall Blacks and has coached in multiple New Zealand Breakers Championships, while currently an assistant coach for the New Zealand National Team and the NBL Southeast Melbourne Phoenix, Judd Flavol. Here's your host, Max Becker. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Sporting Max. So today we're joined by Southeast Melbourne Phoenix assistant coach, New Zealand men's national team assistant coach, and former Tall Black himself, Judd Flavel. Welcome to the podcast, Judd. It's amazing to have you on. How are you going at the moment? <laughs> yeah, good, Max. It's a hell of an intro. I, I kind of forget that I used to be a player. Uh, <laughs> we've been coaching too long now. So, uh, no, I've been going great, mate. Um. That's good. Now, what was growing up um, as a kid in New Zealand like for you? Yeah, New Zealand. I mean, a great place to, to live. I mean, obviously, uh, smaller city. I grew up in uh, a, a town or a city called Whangarei, which is two hours north of Auckland. Basically, Auckland's our big city and everything else is fairly small, community-minded. Um, and, you know, where we lived, there wasn't too much basketball, but there were some basketball families that, um, that uh, I guess, were the, um, held a lot of the basketball community together. Uh, my family being one of them. My dad was a coach. Um, and he coached me all, all through my age groups, and, and he coached the men's team that we had there too. Um, good friend of mine and, and uh, cousin, uh, Piero Cameron, also grew up. Yeah. We grew up together, same age, and, and rivals. Uh, until he grew to being, you know, the, the man mountain that he is yeah. at the moment. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a great place to grow up, able to play all the sports under the sun. Um, and then that was really the, the start of the basketball for me. And, and then, yeah, just, you know, as you do, you, you move along as you, as you leave home. And I was fortunate enough to um, play in the New Zealand NBL and, and played for a few teams and got to see um, – or got to play with a lot of good players and, and that was the good foundation and um yeah it, it was kind of the, the same with a lot of uh new zealand basketball players you know they, they didn't necessarily come from auckland everybody came from small towns yeah um now sort of you mentioned your playing career there um now i think you played with the tall blacks um can you expand on how that opportunity came about yeah so i think I think it was uh, left home, went down and moved down to Waikato, which is um, uh, an hour and a half drive from uh, from south of Auckland. So actually, Piero and myself, um, we went down here, went down to uh, Polytech, which is, you know, kind of, I guess, the tertiary education. Um, basically, we just spent a lot of time playing basketball and very little time studying, but... Um, <laughs> It gave us the great opportunity to play for in the first division in the NBL, um, and and from there I, I guess you know Piero went straight into Tall Black uh, trialist and, and went straight into it. Um, and for myself, it took me a few years to sort of um, you know get my foot in the door there. But uh, I think it was just a in the New Zealand NBL and, and being able to get that first um, opportunity to play. I think you know, and that's what I encourage any any youngster coming through, as long as you're getting the opportunity to get to play, because um, that really worked for me. And, and then from there, I was able to go and move to another team that was a sort of a top four team. Uh, I got to start and play a lot of minutes for them. And I'd seen a lot of my peers, my own same age group players that were just sitting on the bench. And I, I think that just gave me a little bit of a, a boost. Um, and then, yeah, age 22, 23, uh, had been close, had been knocking on the door for, for a while. <laughs> Um, and you know, finally made that uh, made that transition into the national team then, and and you know, I think you know, we enjoyed some years of success there and um, during that period, and, and it was a it was a good time for New Zealand basketball. Uh, in two thousand two, um, you competed in the World Basketball Championships. Now you guys finished fourth um as a team. How did you feel after that bronze medal playoff May um game? And can you take me through that tournament? Yeah, so it all started, as you'd know probably, Max, that um, 
to qualify for the world champs, we had to we had to knock off Australia, yeah. which uh, <laughs> hadn't had never been done before. I think the the Tall Blacks had only ever beaten Australia once, which was back in uh, I think it was like 79, 1979. <laughs> and that was on a tip in buzzer beater. So you know, we we had to I guess get over that big hurdle. Um, and you know, we, we did in 2001. It was a two-one series victory, and and uh, our expectations at that time probably was you know let's okay we're going to the 2002 World Cup in Indianapolis. You know, we have no expectations of ourselves, basically. Yeah. We, we haven't played a lot of these teams before. It was all first time for all of us, too. So we had no idea what we're getting ourselves into. <laughs> um, and then we kind of, you know, we turned up to the, to the tournament. From then until the tournament, I guess our coach, Tab Baldwin, mm -hmm. and the assistant coach, Nenad Vushinik, um, they'd done a great job in just installing, like, you know, some real genuine belief in, in us than what we could do. And um, we still had to go out on the floor and prove it. Um, probably some big moments for us was like in our pre-tournament, uh, our pre-tour. You know, we were over in Europe and, and playing and getting as much ex as experience as we could get uh, on the international stage because none of us had this international experience. Like it was new for <laughs> yeah. New Zealand. So um, the opportunity to go and play against France and... and uh, at the time, Yugoslavia um, or Serbia and Montenegro, they were called then. Um, and teams like that, it was just powerhouse teams. That we, this was our first time. So it was great. You know, we got to a tournament. I think we're in um, Germany at the time, playing in this tournament, four-team tournament. Us, Germany, Lithuania and Serbia and Montenegro. And we, Serbia and Montenegro were the current, maybe the world champs, defending world champs. And we actually... We beat them in, in this game. It was a great game. Uh, Sean Marks had, I think, 27 points. He was wow. the best player on the floor and amongst a lot of NBA players that mm -hmm. Serbia had. Um, and I think from that game, you know, sitting in the locker room after, after that game, we all sat there talking about what we had done. And it was a, it was a little pat on the back, but it was like a real uh, reality check in terms of, hey, this is, this, we can do this. We can go to this tournament and we can, if we, if we execute the game plan um, and if we play the way that we know we can play, what, why not? Why, why can't we go ahead and, and do something yeah. special? And from that moment, I, think, I, I feel like we all grew in confidence. Um, gelled together. Gelled together, yep. And we, our very first game was against Russia. Um, and we'd been talking about Russia for like three months. We, knew, we already <laughs> knew the draw. And our, our minds were totally on Russia the whole time. We were looking at them as as early as like a, a month into it, just seeing <laughs> recruiting. And the coaches did a great job of just building this game plan. And we, we turned up, we had, we had a, a dream start. We knocked over Russia, which at the time were a powerhouse team. Um, a very young Andre Karolinko was in their team. Um, and for us, that was the start. And we, we played with confidence. I think we, we knocked over China as well, um, Venezuela. And then the teams that we actually lost to were the teams that were ended up ahead of us in, in, the, in, the, um, in the tournament. So we lost to Serbia, we lost to Germany, we lost to Argentina. Yeah. Um, actually, we did lose to the US as well. I mean, that, that gave us a good little spanking, but... <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, the, the great thing about international basketball is that every team has their own unique signature. They all have their own different styles. And it's really like uh, when you get those styles together, sometimes, you know, your style just is just something new. And, um, you know, I, I felt like we had a unique style. Piero Cameron was huge. We'd play off Piero. And everybody just knew where to get to the right spots. And, and then put, putting that all together... Um, you know, on the night and yeah, we, we were able to do, to do something special. Um, you know, you mentioned Pera Cameron before, um, playing with guys like him, you know, Paul Hanare and Phil Jones, what was it like to grow with these guys and develop um, and experience different cultures and sort of go to that championship with them and really bond and gel together? Yeah, the good thing about New Zealand basketball is, is that the talent, well, it's, it's different now, but back then probably the, the depth of talent um, 
wasn't, you know, it's not as deep as what it is here in Australia, of course. So the, the upside to that is a lot of us got to play together in junior teams um, before we actually got to play with each other in the, in the senior national team. So you had a bond already um, yeah. and, and getting to learn to play with each other. Well, we had already done that. So that by the time we got to senior level, there was a chemistry there that I think that was probably our greatest weapon. And, and when you talk about those guys, like we had all played with each other in the New Zealand NBL. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's the beauty of being like just a, such a small yeah, uh, country. Yeah. And is that you're able to, it was just a look of the eye for Piero and everybody yeah. <laughs> knew which way he was going and which way we needed to go. Um, and those are little things I think even in today, you try to build uh, your team to have that, uh, amount of chemistry and that takes years to, to do that the, the successful teams I think even in the NBL are the teams that have kept their core together for numerous years so we already had that deeper level of understanding um, there's something always special about representing your country and, and being a yeah. New Zealander I think we're always kind of that little brother especially to Australia uh, <laughs> so anytime it comes up to playing international basketball it's just no questions asked about what you're going to do for for your teammate and, and what you're going to do for for your country um and we had to play that way max like otherwise we yeah. could not go out on the floor and just expect our skill to take <laughs> over we had to make sure that everything was on point and that we were either out executing teams or if we couldn't do that let's turn this game a little bit ugly and, and get a little bit niggly and, and try to take <laughs> the skill element out of it so yeah and everybody was on board, no questions asked. And, and that's the beauty about playing for your country. Um, you also mentioned before that spanking you got handed to uh, by the US um, in that world championships. Now it's a childhood dream um, of anyone's to be able to meet these NBA superstars, but then to spend a game um, playing against these guys from the US um, at those world basketball championships in 2002, can you extend on that experience of being out on court for a full game with guys like Reggie Miller and things like that? Yeah, I mean, that was pretty special. I think, you know, it all started when, so, you know, before we play, right, we step on the court and we line up and we, before yeah. the national anthems, we do the haka. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so this, was, this was the thing about the, uh, the, the 2002 World Cup. Like, this what, is the first... how, what did they look at you when you guys are doing the haka? What, what, well, what are their, like, facial expressions? I, I tell you what, we had anything from sort of laughing to <laughs> the Venezuelan, uh, team thought that we were actually cussing them out, so they were cussing oh. us out. Uh, <laughs> the Americans actually got out their cameras and started taking photos. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, we had the Russian team that kind of just walked straight past us mm-hmm. as we were halfway through it, uh, and it was a really funny moment because we all kind of lined up, and there's a few in the front, yeah. and everybody, as the Russian team walked past us to their bench, everybody kind of did a 90-degree turn uh, to, to follow them and, uh, except for I think it was Dylan Boucher who was at the front and because he didn't see what was going on behind him he was still facing the other way on his own which was just one of those little funny moments but every team had their own different response and it was just they hadn't seen it before you know Australia have seen the haka before because yeah. of our rugby um, our two countries you know smashing each other in, in the game of rugby and in rugby league um, but for a lot of these guys, this was new. So that's where I was starting with the US team. It was like the very first start when they saw us, they were kind of like thought that we were performing for them. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and then we get to, to play on court. Um, and I believe at halftime, I think we we're only down by maybe 10, 10 points or so. It was a really close, like we had a great start. Um, we made our shots. Um, yours truly was able, I, I made a couple of, uh, I think I made a three and a couple of jumpers and, yep. um, you know, it was one of those moments where I had, I think they were coming down the court and I was marking M- Michael Finlay one time. <laughs> um, I might've had, was it, um, Andre Miller coming down at me one time. I think I had a two on one, which was like Andre Miller on one side, oh, no. throwing a lob to, um, the matrix. Yeah. Um, sure, Marion, yeah. and I've done the like, where's that going? And before I knew it, like, you know, sure, Marion's up on the rim, so it was just uh, it was special. It was a chance to play against you know these guys that you'd only seen on TV. Um, and for a little old New Zealand, you know, players that barely got out of their own country, yeah. you know, this was a 
one of those games where you were soaking it up and you were living your dream mm -hmm. and you were trying to compete all at the same time, which was yeah, surreal. Yeah, also have fun. But yeah, absolutely. Um, now, what did you take out of your playing career that you could then um, translate into your coaching career? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I think I think what I was talking about, like how how we had to approach the game when we we're the underdog, um, yeah. being tiny old New Zealand, like, and the way that we we approached it was we had to be maybe we couldn't out jump up our opposition or outrun them or even the skill set, and we didn't even have the experience on a lot of these teams, but we knew that if we had a a game plan that everybody was bought into and everybody knew exactly what their role was then there's no reason why you can't succeed and, and that's what I've taken with with me into this into my coaching philosophies I, I guess is that uh, you know you can always get more out of yourself if you've got the yeah. whole team willing to move them in the right direction so uh, we were able to prove that on the international stage um, and, and it's something that I think in the professional sport, I think every coach is probably trying to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but after sort of living it and breathing it and, and seeing how successful it was, I mean, that's one of the main drivers that I, I try to install into the, into the teams that I have, um, you know, that I've coached. Mm -hmm. In 2006, you joined the New Zealand Breakers as an assistant coach um, and also as the academy head coach. What did your roles um, consist of in your first sort of early years at the Breakers? Yeah, so moved out of out of plane, and then um, I put my name forward for the for the breakers assistant coaching job. But, and it was uh, I was kind of at a crossroads, which many players are when they get to the end of their career. And, um, and I was like, right, you know, this is let's see how this goes, and, and put my name forward, and had a discussion <laughs> with Andre Lamanis, and um, I ended up getting the job, which I didn't know Andre at the time, um, and so. Yeah, but what an opportunity that I was given. Um, and being an assistant coach at, at that time, uh, for me, there was, there was an element of it where I, I thought, man, I just had the best seat in the house because I was yeah. watching some great <laughs> basketball, sitting on this, you know, sitting courtside, um, watching this great level of basketball. You know, the very first game was, my very first game in, in the NBL was Joe Ingalls' um, oh, wow. debut game. And I'd heard a lot about him and, and you know, just go to, that was his rookie game, first game. And I think, yeah, what did he have, 28, 29 points yeah. on us? Um, and you knew, wow, this, this guy's special. And, and yeah. you, know, you look at his career now. So, um, But, yeah, the, the academy was, was something that um, Andre, when I, when I day one, it was actually funny. Day one, and Andre said to me, okay, you've got this academy. We want, our, we want this academy to be up and running. But it, it's your baby. Mm -hmm. um, I've got a roster that I've got, to, I've got to put together. I think at the time we had a, an import that had just been picked up by the San Antonio Spurs, Rich Mauser. Um, I believe he was contracted for the Breakers, but then got picked up in the NBA. So he all of a sudden, his immediate focus was on trying to get a player to, uh, to round out the roster. So he kind of just said, Judd, go and do it, you know, and take, <laughs> take, it, take it on. And um, from that moment, you know, my vision was always what I'd seen was across in Australia, in Canberra, the AIS. I'd been lucky enough to, to go and visit there and, and play against the AIS when I was playing for the New Zealand, one of the development teams. Um, and I'd seen the setup and I'd seen, obviously, it was, you know, a diff completely different level than what we could ever do. But that was my vision in terms of, okay, get the best athletes, get them training together. Yep. Let's see what resources we can we can use uh, capitalize on from the breakers, you know, physios, our trainers, um, utilizing the gym, and just start building relationships with with these kids. And um, you know, that it's probably one of the um, it's probably understated, but it, it's it's one of the something that I'm probably most proud of is because you start to look at the careers that we were able to open the door up for um, a lot of guys that are currently playing right now. Rob Lowe, who came. Yeah. When, Started was 14 years old. Ruben Tarangi, who was 13 years old. Um, Shay Illy, you know, the Webster brothers. Um, you know, the Isaac Fortu, who's over overseas. Um, but some really good players there. And, and, you know, really seeing them come walking in the door as a teenager and, and then seeing them leave with, you know, 
going on to college or going on to the professional teams was was something special. So, you know, it's it's a I think the breakers, um, the club, and in particular the academy too, has played a, a big role in New Zealand basketball. So, what's it like when you sit back and you go like, and you've seen the um, careers of guys like Shea Illy and Corey and Ty Webster, and they've just become elite players in the NBL now? It, yeah, like you know what? It, the very first thing it taught me was not to put ceilings on, on these athletes when they were young. Um, one of the things I, I think as a coach, sometimes we, we look at players and we assess them and then we think we're quite quickly to judge them and say, yeah, he's never going to, he's never going to make it for this reason or for that yeah. reason. Uh, and I've completely changed my mindset on, on that. Whereas I think, well, if you can just, you know, zero in maybe on one or two of these weaknesses with, that they can improve, but really look to expand what they're really good at and master some skills yeah. then there's no reason why they can't go like Shay Ali didn't have a jump shot um he was still learning his craft and just what the game understanding the game um great phenomenal athlete but yeah. just had a lot to learn and you know to see him in a short amount of time to get to you know just where he got to or where he is at right now and, and a solid player in this league it has been a starter um and a you know, probably arguably one of the best defenders, if not the best yeah, all defender um, in, in the competition. So, you know, he's just a good example of, and he was at a crossroads. He was like, he, he really loved rugby. His first love was rugby. <laughs> and so we had to keep drawing them in. No, like you're good enough to be a basketballer here. Mm-hmm. And um, so that those, seeing those guys and doing what they're, they're doing now is, is something special. And even though I get to coach against them now, I still do it with, I still got my head on from, okay, when I was their coach and, and seeing their development. Yeah. And yeah, it's pretty special. And that's something that I, I think that um, you can never take away from, from them. And um, yeah, it's, and I would encourage all coaches to, to, do, to do the same, you know, because it's just a world of potential there for, for anybody. Uh, in 2010 to 2011, I'm you were the Harbour Heat head coach in the NZNBL. How was that experience for you um, of being a head coach? That was, so up until that point, I think I had five years of um, being an assistant coach with Andre and, and Dean Vickerman as well. Um, and I think in that one year of head coaching, I probably learned more than what I did in the five years of being an assistant and, and that's not to say I, I wasn't learning anything it was just there was so much to to take in as a first-time head coach um and probably learned more about myself as a coach uh, as a in terms of okay now I'm the one that has to deal with everything um yeah, I can't just yeah whereas when you're an assistant coach I got my little box that I've got to do and I've got to make sure I do ABC yeah. as best I can at the end of the day, you know, the rest will fall onto other people's shoulders. But when you're the head coach, it all Everything falls on, on your, your shoulders. shoulders. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that, that year we had a great team. We recruited the, a very good team. Um, we Unfortunately, we, we got to the playoffs. I think it was a quarterfinal. Mm-hmm. I think we were fourth playing against fifth. Um, and, yeah, we, we, we end up losing that game. Uh, as as you'd expect, everybody was gutted, and and um, but for me personally, I'd learnt so much from there and grown so much from from that moment. Uh, throughout two, 2012 um, until 2015, I believe you were the New Zealand men's under 19s head coach. Um, how did that role come about? Yeah, I, I think it's just a matter of putting your name in, and and um, I think I had been around a lot of those junior players before because with the Breakers Academy. So I had good experience with, in terms of um, relationships with a lot of these players. Mm-hmm. Uh, the good thing about the Breakers Academy is that we were drawing uh, upon the Auckland area, uh, which had a lot of basketball talent, but we also opened up the doors to kids from the South Island or, or around the country, Wellington, or all over. And we were bringing them up for, for camps during the summer and, and allowing them to be a part of the breakers environment and club and so we reached out uh, um, as, as far as we could and, and it really gave me a, a great opportunity to 
talk to coaches around the country, uh, access to work with some of the, the best players that we had. And I think that was probably a, a good, um, I guess, uh, contributing factor, so to speak, for me to, to pick up that New Zealand junior head coaching job. And, and plus having, I think, the thing about New Zealand basketball, and, and it's such a small community, is that every, a lot of things are volunteer-based. Um, there's not a, not a lot of full-time coaches there. Yeah. And so I was in the fortunate position that I was getting this coaching every single day, every year, and, and really felt like my coaching experience was, you know, obviously taking on a lot, um, but really learning and growing every year. So, yeah, that, that's where it started. And, and once, once we got into the national um, teams and we started touring Australia for the state championships and things like that, you know, those were all great experiences as well. What's it like to watch young basketballers develop um, and progress in that under-19 side? Yeah, you know, one of those players that we had was Isaiah Liafa, Mario Hoho Liafa. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that, that to me was, was something. He was from, he's from Wellington. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't get to work with him on a weekly basis, but I got to work with him for a couple of years just with the national team. Uh, obviously, great talent. Um, and it was, was, you could see that he had the goods to go on. Yeah. And I guess... You know, like I said with the other guys, just the chance to be able to see them at early in their careers when they're just so influen- influential, right? They're at that age yeah. where they're impressionable and just soaking everything up. And you just knew at that time that he had some gifts, but he was just taking on, he was very coachable. And, and to see him, us now, full circle, just yeah. tag up again, <laughs> has been great. Um, Yanni Wetzel was another one that um, he was in our Breakers Academy, late, late bloomer, late starter. Didn't start playing basketball seriously until he was 17 years old. So we had one year with him in, in the academy. I threw him into the, the junior Tall Blacks um, trials. Unfortunately, he missed out. He was just so raw, but you could just see that get, yeah. after. Um, and now you watch him now, and he's like, I'm Yeah, playing. like everything that he does now. He had the potential in him. He was a great, he had great footwork, um, could run all day and just so eager to learn and, and grow. And, and then, uh, you know, he's another great example of one that sort of had a late start, but was just totally committed to what he was wanting to do. And, and then you look at him now and, and it, those, those things. And obviously the, the Phoenix and seeing um, Ruben Tadangi as well, you know, as a coach, it's great to see them at the start of their career. Yep and you watch them progress, but it's, it's special to, to be able to walk in the stadium with these guys uh, at the moment. And, yeah. you know, here, here we are, we're going to battle again together, <laughs> you know, so all, the, all these years later. So you were at the Breakers um, for those four championships. What championship do you think was the best experience for yourself or um, I guess sort of maybe sort of that toughest route um, to the championship? Yeah, it's definitely the first one, Max. We had... I think at the time it was one of those in New Zealand sport that we had like a lot of, a lot of competitions that uh, where New Zealand teams are competing in the Australian uh, league, like uh, football or soccer. Um, yep. You've got the A-League, you've got the Wellington Phoenix that are competing. Uh, you've got the, Auckland, the New Zealand Warriors that are competing in the NRL. Um, you've got a few of the netball teams that are competing in the Australian competition or used to. And... No one, I, I believe, had won that. No New Zealand team had won it. Wow. Um, and I think at the time, it was no one would have expected the basketball team to be able to do it. I think in our <laughs> early years of breakers, like we were wooden spooners. Uh, we were so far off the pace that that probably, you know, if you had to guess that one team would, was going to do it, the New Zealand Warriors were probably the best chance. I think they came second. They lost the final in 2002. Um, and they always had so much promise, and and uh, uh, but yet you know here we were building to, towards something special. And in 2010, when we did win it, I felt like we won it not just for the breakers, but we won it for New Zealand, and we won it for all those teams that were competing in the Australian competition. And, and we got plenty of support from them. Um, New Zealand, you know, although being small, but 
the beauty is everybody jumps on board, you know, um, doesn't matter what sport it is. And especially when you're playing against Australia and there was nothing better for us to, to go ahead and, and winning that competition. And I think it just, it went to show that any one of us can do it. The fact that we went on and did it, you know, three times in a row. I mean, that was truly special, but I think that first one for sure, just to get the monkey off the back and, and yeah. prove, <laughs> prove that, you know, it, it is, uh, it is something that everybody can aspire to and achieve. Um, now, that 2015 championship team, um, you had Dean Vickerman, um, head coach, and I think you had Reese Carter in that side too. Yep. You had both of them on the podcast, by the way. Um, what was yep. it like to work with um, a great sort of coach like Dean who knows his players and um, who can run, make sure that all these guys are gelling well together and they can run the floor? Yeah, Dino, like that was, we had a long time together. So we, I think, probably had six years together as co-assistants, you know. So we shared an office. So um, we, I think during that time was probably, it was so good for me. I, I got to learn so much under working with Dean. And, um, you know, like although Andre was there, uh, when Dean took over, it was uh, once again, I was learning through Dino, watching him make the steps from being an assistant coach to a head coach. So I, I got a lot from my coaching knowledge and experience is, is because of Dean. Um, and you're right, you know, like he, he, does, um, he does have a real ability to empower his players, connect with his players, um, and his passion rubs off onto his players as well. Yeah. And, and that's, um, that's something that I've taken away from, from Dino uh, with his coaching. And, and to see him in, in all his teams, they compete so hard and, and they play tough on the defensive end. You know, it, that's all a reflection of, of Dino, yeah. um, of who he is. And, um, you know, he, he, he did some great things for the breakers and, uh, and he's gone on to continue to do some great things and, it's always great to get one over him because <laughs> you know that you you, ha you have to earn it. Your team yeah. has to earn it to to beat his team. So, uh, but look, yeah, I learned a lot of good things and seeing somebody like Reese Carter come through, who started off as a player and and made that transition, and um, you know, it's just great to see these guys continue to to contribute in a coaching fashion. Mm -hmm. Now, in 2016, um, you returned to the NZNBL as the head coach of the Southland Sharks. Um, now I think they were coming off a uh, championship winning season. So how did yep. you find coming into that, that um, team um, in a sort of championship winning mentality environment? Yeah, that's a good one. So, so um, the very first, I guess, job was try to recruit the team back. Right. And the whole team pretty much went and moved to Wellington. Uh, so Kevin Bracewell, <laughs> Kevin Bracewell, who was a player for the Sharks at the time, the import, he got the coaching job with, with the breakers. And, um, you know, the two biggest pieces was Ty Wesley and Shay Illy. Um, and they went and they went with him before I sort of really, we were in a position to kind of, um, grab these guys or, or yep. do that. You know, they had already sort of, um, made their, made their choice to, to go to Wellington. And so it became, you know, I guess over the years, Wellington and Southland, it became a healthy rivalry. I think that we brought the best out of each other. Um, but putting that 2016 team together after the championship year, well, we had to start new. You know, we had to start all over again. And um, that, that for me was, was exciting. It meant that what, what I was starting with was a blank canvas. Um, yes, they had won it the year before. But this team hadn't won it. So yep. we had to, whatever we had on. to do, yeah, we, we needed to, to earn our stripes, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we recruited, I had two, my two imports were Jordi Jet um, and Nick Kay, a, a very young Nick Kay yep. that had come straight out of playing from uh, Townsville Crocs. And, um, you know, we had a good base of New Zealand talent too with Alex Pledger and Everard Bartlett. Um, Dwayne Bailey. So we were competitive, but it took us a while to really find our groove because we just, you know, we weren't, um, we were learning about each other. We had new players, we had a new group, you had a new coach. So we ended up playing Wellington in the semifinals. I think we lost by three or four. Um, Too bad. 
it was it was down in Southland, so it was a great it was a ripper of a game. But uh, yeah, we came out on the other side, and Wellington won it that year. Um, but yeah, during during those years with the New Zealand NBL and, and the Sharks program, gave me this was the first time that it gave me a program to run. You know, more than just coaching on the floor, yeah. managing your staff, building your your staff off the floor, and and being able to manage that and. Um, yeah, I've been fortunate enough to coach some some very good players that's that's come out of that Southland Sharks program. And uh, yeah, we had Mitch McCarron at my last year there for a handful of games before he had to go back because he was he was carrying a knee injury. But Todd Blanchfield, you know, Mitch Norton, it's mentioned Nick Kay, but um, you know, just the opportunity to be able to work with these guys was was really special. And um, you know, we were able to do some good things as well. It's a bit of a trend there, don't you reckon? Three of those four guys, Nick Kay, Todd Blanchfield, and who was the other one? Mitch Norton. Mitch Norton. They've all gone to play at the Wildcats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? Like That's, that's like playing I, together. I, I think, I, well, at the time, Nick Kay and Mitch Norton had moved from Townsville to Illawarra together. And during that time, they'd moved from Illawarra, uh, or to Southland, sorry, Sharks, and then to Illawarra. And then from Illawarra, they came back and did another year um, with us in Southland. And then they went from there, they went to Perth. So they, they were joined at the hip. That was a happy married married couple, those two. <laughs> um, but no, great people. And I, and I think when you see them, those people that end up at the Wildcats, and we all know about the Wildcats culture and uh, and the quality of people that they have there, um, it's, it's no wonder that those people are in hot demand, you know, especially from those teams that have a really proud culture. Um, now, yourself and the Sharks won the 2018 uh, New Zealand Basketball League Championship. What was that championship series like for you? Yeah, you know what? Uh, so th- we have a final four, much like the sort of the college style, where it's just a yeah. straight-out knockout semifinal. Um, we turned up. So that year we had, we had a very good team. Um, Jared Weeks was probably the our... Um, our leader, um, yeah. he was he was uh, pretty dynamic in that that league. Um, our offense centered a lot around what Jared was doing, and um, we had some great other pieces on the floor, like uh, like I was talking about, Alex Pledger, our imports, who are both playing o- over in Europe right now. One of them's in the ACB, Connor Morgan, the Canadian, um, and so and Ruben Tarangi, of course. Um, who had been with us for three years. So it was just a, a, like getting to those semifinals where you work so hard throughout the season. And now, you know, this is just a one-off game. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of nerve wracking because you know all that good work, okay, it puts you in a position to get to the semifinal, but everything you've done before in the past doesn't mean anything yeah. now. It's just a one-off, one-off game. You have no home court advantage. They put it into so at that year. We played in Wellington, the final four. Um, and the thing, the, probably the, the, the biggest um, thing that we had during the week was Jared Weeks had pulled up, pulled up lame with a hamstring or some, some type of strain. <laughs> just, just out of nowhere. Um, just sort of started off from practice at the start of the week. And I remember the physio saying, oh, it'll be just a couple of days and he'll be, he'll be good to go. We'll be good to go for the semifinal. And we're playing against the Nelson Giants who had a very stacked team, very good team very well coached and got to a couple of days away from the game. I'm going, he's going to be okay, isn't he? Like Jared Weeks, he's going to be, he's going to be good to go. Right. And he's like, yeah, let's give him another day. And it just kept on going. And then it, we got to the gate a day before the game and it was clear that he was going to be a, a game time decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all crossed our fingers and toes and everything else. <laughs> and we got to the tip off. Uh, or before the game, and it was a no, he can't go. Um, so we ent- that was probably like one of those little thing- things that where, as a coach, you- you're prepped all you can, and um, then all of a sudden, you know, this happens and it's taken it away from you. You kind of feel at the time you're like, man, this is this is gutting for us, <laughs> but you kind of don't have the time to really have to think about that. You just got to move on with what you got. And, um, you know, we, we played against a Nelson Giants team who had 
uh, starting lineup was Kyle Edman, mm -hmm. uh, Damon Heyer, uh, Jerry Evans, Finn Delaney, mm -hmm. and I think Tohi Milner Smith. Yeah. Um, Mika Vakona was coming off the bench for them, mm -hmm. and they have some other local players that are very, very handy. Um, and it was a close game, great game, like back and forth. Um, they had an opportunity to last possession to, to win it. And it was, a, unfortunately for us, it was, a, they didn't get it. And um, we ended up winning that game. Um, and that was a big one for a massive one. So massive because it also gave Weeksy a chance, another 24 yeah. hours to prep, to see if we can get him up to speed for, for the final. Um, and we, we went into the final and, and Weeksy, unfortunately, um, he said, right, he's going to give it a go. Yep. Doesn't think he'll be able to go, but we just said, look, let's just start the game. Mm -hmm. Run up and down a few possessions and just see what, it, you know, see if the adrenaline kicks in and, and see if the, uh, you know, it just um, takes over. And, and, um, and he ran up a few times. I think he scored maybe four or five points. I think he got to score a three, <laughs> maybe an and one. So maybe six points. Um, got us off to a ripper of a start. And, uh, but about three or four minutes into it, you know, we, we had to stop him out. He was done. It was just leg was no good. So, um, and yeah, we, we ended up beating Wellington uh, Saints in the final. And, and it was, it was a great feeling of, uh, I guess a little bit of redemption from we had the previous two years, we'd lost it to the Saints in the semifinal and the final. So we knew we were close. We were building something. And this one here, um, you know, where we knocked them over was was um, was a good feeling and, and nothing better probably on the Wellington home floor as well. But I mean, it was just um, you know it was one of those moments for was just happy for the whole team. Um, and and just goes to show that um, you know like you just got to move on with the pieces you've got. And you know, losing Wixie was a huge piece for us, but. Um, to our credit and to the to the boys' credit, they some of them played out of their skin. Ruben Tarangi had a final that um, you know he will remember for a very long time. Like it was, it was really, it was great to see and, and be a part of. Uh, can you expand on what your time um, at the New Zealand Breakers was like up until 2020? I think it was. Yeah, man. You know, I, I've been I've been there for 13 years. 13 years, and, and from day one when I worked with Andre and. Um, and, and just sitting on the courtside seats and thinking, man, I got the best seat in the house here. Um, <laughs> to to spending 13 seasons, there's a lot of good people there that built great relationships with during that time. I think anytime you've been somewhere for 13 seasons, um, you kind of feel like you're part of the furniture, I guess. And and obviously we had a lot of success in seeing them you know, the breakers turn around from being probably, um, you know, wooden spurners to, to winning all those championships um, and seeing the growth of these youngsters coming through and what they were doing. It's just so, you know, there's so much to be proud of um, and seeing, you know, seeing the breakers um, during that time just be almost, I guess, we knew that, as soon as other people started talking about maybe that, hey, this club's pretty special, that uh, that was almost like a validation for us that, yeah. well, even these teams from across the ditch now are starting to, you know, and we had players wanting to come here and play. And, and uh, whereas in those early years, we had to try to convince those players to come over. Um, yeah, so that was just a, a great journey. And um, in, in that time, obviously, I got the opportunity to work with some great people. Um, and, and seeing a lot of my, I guess, the, the coaches continue to grow and, and that they're still coaching it right now. Um, I almost felt like, you know, because, because I was part of that, that's helped me open up some doors for me and, and landing myself over here in Australia as well. So I got a lot to be thankful for. The owners at the time, Paul, Liz, Paul and Liz Blackwell, were amazing. Um, and I thought that was normal. You know, I kind of thought, <laughs> oh, that, that's what owners do. But you kind of realize later on, you're like, no, that, they're just, that's not normal. Um, <laughs> they were just so special. And, and so, it's a, yeah, it's a real, it's a real a, a forever hold a place, a dear place in my heart because of 
the people that um, that we've uh, had a lot to do with during that time. Uh, joining the new South East Melbourne Phoenix, their inaugural NBL season in NBL 20. Um, how did you get that position? I believe it was a conversation. Um, so Simon Mitchell had been um, success, successful in being the named the head coach. And, and I think the story kind of goes that maybe he was having dinner with Dean Vickerman one night um, yeah. and maybe was looking for assistant coaches. And, and I think my name must have got thrown into that mix. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if this is official or not, but... Um, and then, you know, that led to a phone conversation. Uh, and a phone conversation led to just meeting up with each other. We, I, I didn't know Simon. I knew Simon from when you, you walk past each other and you shake yeah. each other's hands and you did the small talk thing. Um, but that was it. So, you know, and from there, I think obviously the, what I had going for me was the fact that I'd been part of the, the breakers success and, and, yeah. and the culture that comes with it. Um, not just the on-court success, obviously that everybody um, sees that, but it's, it's probably more about the culture and when the Phoenix, when we, my first discussions with Simon and, and Tommy Greer, they were all about the culture. Um, and that really was exciting to hear. I think it's, it's to me, I, I think there are some clubs that probably talk about culture, but it's more, it's probably just words than anything else. Um, and then there are clubs that really live and breathe it. And I got the feeling from Simon and Tommy that they were pretty passionate about this culture and what they were trying to do. And, and it, there were a lot of parallels. They were a Melbourne team, but competing against the heavyweights of Melbourne United. Um, and to me, that was a little bit like New Zealand breakers trying to yep. prove themselves that they were worthy and that they belonged. Um, and I was, yeah, I was all in. You know, that was exciting. And so that was a move, a big move, because I've been with the Breakers for 13 years. Um, but maybe this was like a, one of those opportunities that wouldn't come around too many times. And so my wife and I and, and the family, we decided to do it and, and go for it. And, and Melbourne's a great city and we haven't looked back. Oh, now I think in that first game of the season for the Phoenix, I think they might have beat Melbourne United uh, by three. Mm -hmm. How did yep. that feel for you guys to go, you know, we've won. Our first ever game playing in the NBL, we've won it and we beat yep. Melbourne United, who were sort of all hyped up by everyone. You know, got you, yep. you got your Mellow Trimble and your Sean Long coming in. Mm. Yeah, uh, look, I, I think I was so I was so happy for Simon and for Tommy. Obviously, everybody was happy. We just beat in Melbourne United. Yeah. <laughs> I could only imagine what those guys must have felt like when they sat together and only had a piece of paper to work from mm -hmm. and to see in, in a few months time that, you know, leading up to the very first game, um, I, can, I can't imagine how much, yeah. how nervous and just the amount of anxiety that must have been going on. For me, it was just another game. But <laughs> for these guys that, you know, this was something they've been eyeing up for, you know, probably just little over a year, or a little over a year maybe um this was a special moment and so when i saw tommy and i and i saw the fist pumps that he had after, straight after the game and he was in the crowd <laughs> for me that was probably the, the one of those moments that uh, i was i was so proud of and um and i really felt like that was for those guys um it was great sure it was great to get the win over melbourne but um it was just a moment that we belonged and that the Phoenix had arrived uh, on the scene. And yeah. we had some big expectations of ourselves. Um, and obviously we didn't deliver where, what we wanted uh, and, and finish where we wanted to finish, but I felt like we had laid down a, a good foundation in that first year. Now, NBL 21, um, the team's had a lot of firepower coming in. Brian Brokoff, Mitch Creek, um, Ruben Tarungi, you've mentioned before, um, but gotten unlucky with a couple of injuries with guys like Broke, uh, broke off out for a while there, a bit of an eye injury, I think there was. Um, yeah. How do you reflect on this season so far? 
this season has been so this has been my 15th season and no other season has ever I guess come close to what we've experienced this season right so it started off with the whole COVID thing yeah um where last season it hit it had sort of disrupted the final series and I guess we started training pre-season in back in April mm -hmm. um still thinking that a season was going to start in October, you know, that everything would settle down until then. And then that quickly changed. And, okay, maybe it's going to be moved back to November or December, and then it got to January. And then yeah. a four-month preseason became eight months. Mm -hmm. um, so, and everybody just eager to go. And a little bit of anxiety about, is this season going to actually happen? Um, but eventually it did. And, and you know, like, We've managed to, you know, we got 36 games in this yeah. season, which is unbelievable to think about, really. Um, so that's, that's been different. We've had schedule changes, you know, left, right and centre. Yeah. And I think what it's highlighted is that although these circumstances are, are changing and, and you've got to be able to deal with it, like, it's, it's one of those things that you preach it all the time about, okay, just control the controllables. Um, and, and these little you know, bumps in the road are going to happen. Yeah. And you just got to be able to just keep, you know, keep your focus forward and just keep driving through it. So uh, I, I think we've done a great job of that this year. And I think every team in the same boat, think about the breakers um, and what they've had to do and, and what they've had to uh, overcome. And talking to some of their players, like they're just, their mindset is very focused on just what, what's the next game. And um, it's been a tough season for a, for a lot of people in that regards. But the fact that we're here and we're, all, we're getting close to the end of the season, like, um, you know, hats off to a lot of people for that because it has been a unique one. Um, in January 2020, you got the call up as an assistant coach for the New Zealand men's national team alongside head coach Pero Cameron. Um, how did you feel when you got that call up? Yeah, it's special. Like I like I talked about representing your country as a player, you have the exact same feeling when you do it, even in a coaching role. You just got a different role, right? Like you just can't get out there on the floor and run around. So, but it is so special to me. The Tall Blacks culture and, and the feel is something unique. Like I, I don't even think I could explain it to do it. Yeah. If I tried to, I wouldn't be doing it any justice. Like. It is so special that I think, like, no one gets paid for it. Um, I mean, we get there is there is some payment, but um, it's uh, yeah, we, we do it not not because of that. We do it because we want to be part of it, and, and it's just a. It's almost like going to battle. It's like going to war. Like it just yep, you have to do. You got a job to do, and yep. everybody comes together and puts everything aside, put the ego aside, and. Here we go. And our challenge was to, was to beat Australia, right, um, in that one. And so that, that's always an easy one for us to get up for it, just as well, I'm sure, for Australians, <laughs> um, making sure that you don't lose to this New Zealand team. So to be able to do that and, and join my um, good friend, old friend, and um, Piero Cameron, um, and tag up with him again was, was great. And um, you know, and hopefully there's, there's many more of these opportunities um, coming forward. So Tokyo 2021 Olympics, how are you guys shaping up heading into this event? Yeah, well, we, we've got a schedule that's in front of us. Um, it's, it's still trying, the very first thing is just trying to, um, we're just trying to, I guess, track down players that, that are, are available um, with this unique season that, um, that we've had a lot of players, I guess, are probably going to be looking for a little bit of, bit of rest. I think a lot of the breakers players that have been away from home, um, are probably seen this time that, you know, they, they probably want to be around home or around their wives and family too. They've, they've been away for a very long time. So first, the first step in that mission is just to make sure that we've got, um, you know, enough players or that we've got the, uh, a team that we can put together. So we're doing that at the moment. Um, and the schedule will be, as I believe, or nothing's been confirmed as yet, but yep. um, we will probably more or less have a camp, uh, maybe in Australia. Um, 
and then fly out to Indonesia and, and for the Asia Cup, uh, which is two and a half weeks. Um, and then, yeah, that, that's all we have up until this point. Um, and it's something that New Zealand basketball, and it's, you know, it's unfortunate, but we just don't have the amount of resources and finances that we can just fly around the world. And, and this is probably the wrong time to be doing that anyway, but yeah. <laughs> um, this is going to be one of those times where it's, it's um, yeah, it's going to be fairly short and, and maybe just um, the Asia Cup for now until we get into the next window of, yep. of the FIBA windows. Um, who would you describe as the best player you've worked with or coached throughout your career? Oh, best player. Um, geez, there's a few. There's a few. Uh, I've been lucky enough to work with some great ones. I think I'll, I'll name a few just because I think there's some for, for different reasons. That yep. Tony Ronaldson was a player that I think in 2007 mm -hmm. that the Breakers had recruited and we brought him in to change... Um, the culture, the, just to be a part of the new direction that we wanted to go through. And he was a, a vet, you know, still very good player at the time, but not in his prime. Um, yeah. And the best thing that, he, that we could have done was, was recruit Tony Ronson because he really helped establish just the, the toughness that we needed, the professional, professionalism that we needed. And, uh, you know, he was a huge part of that uh, influencing the club and moving in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Moving along to, you know, Kirk Penny, um, who I played with when he was a teenager. Uh, I played with the national team, and now this is an opportunity to, to see him come back and play for the Breakers. Um, and to see him do so well in this league, I like it. I think in, in the first, in that first year, like he surprised me just how well he, he had grown and, and developed in um, in Europe, um, and just how how good he was in this league. Um, and we started to build these pieces into the breakers uh, one by one. CJ Bruden came at a really important time as well, um, and just having his confidence and swag around the group <laughs> was something different. Um, but once again, a, a real key piece of that. Um, but probably, you know, two, two of the guys that I, I really put down is they're kind of like the heart and soul. Well, it was Paulie Hinari. Um, and he was a good, very good friend of mine and yep. um, in, the, in that role, but still just a guy that wears his heart on his sleeve. Um, and Mika Vakona, I think. Yep. Mika is a, he's a funny one to coach. Um, he's just so instinctual. Um, and he plays purely on instincts. The older he got, I mean, the smarter he got. <laughs> um, but he was someone that I think just would inspire people to play at another level because he would go to another level. Um, and you look at the stat sheet, the stats are never going to tell the story of Mika Vakona, but mm -hmm. you look at the championships that he got and you, and you go and ask players who they loved or who would be their, one of their favourite teammates. And I'd... Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sure that plenty of guys will, will mention his name. But, um, yeah, special times and those are some special guys. Uh, what would be your best advice to anyone attempting to be a successful basketballer uh, or coach like yourself? Um, it takes time. It takes time. I, I think, you know, I, I've always been, believed in just, just keep persevering. Um, you know, we all have goals and and where those goals, where people probably, um, you may not get that goal straight away, but you just got to continue to, to stay with it and, and believe in yourself. And that's hard for a lot of people. I think in this day and age, you know, people are quick to just jump off and turn their focus to somewhere else. And we have so many different options available to us these days, but um, just to stay with it, you never know what's around the corner. I never knew that yeah, Melbourne Phoenix were yeah. going to be around the corner. <laughs> so there's opportunities that pop up that you don't foresee, but if you've thrown it away, you're never going to see it. Um, so you've got to go ahead and, and stay with it and look, um, just continue to sponge things up. Um, the moment you think you, you know it all, the moment you, you stop learning. And so this, this game of basketball, 
continues to evolve and I continue to learn more and more as we go on, which, you know, it's just um, the game and just the way it's been over the last few years. And so it's exciting. And um, yeah, if you're really passionate about it, you've got to have the passion for sure. Um, the passion that, that makes you um, turn up each day and love what you do. And, and I've been fortunate enough that, from day one, I, I thought, okay, we'll see how far I, I go with this to, to yep. 15 years later. And now here I am in Melbourne. So um, it's been a great journey and definitely not looking back. Thanks, Judd, for coming on the podcast today and putting aside um, an hour or so of your time to come on and have a chat. Well, it's been an hour. Jeez, that went yeah. quick, Max. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, thank you for having me and uh, all the best, mate. I'll be uh, keeping an eye on it. Thanks, Judd. Stay tuned, everyone, for some more Sporting Max. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sporting Max. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify or YouTube and be sure to follow our socials. This episode is brought to you by The Missing Link. This is The Voice of Melbourne and we'll see you back here real soon for another episode of Sporting Max.